Well, it is so good to be here. It is so good to see you. Uh, there are a lot of faces that were just in here that I know really well from spending the week at camp with them, and they all decided to leave. And so maybe that tells you how I did at camp and the relationships we built. Uh, but it is so good to see you here. Um, you are truly blessed at Choctaw with three fantastic ministers. I love Marty, and I love Titus, and I love John, and I love the way they love the Lord, and I love the way that they love this church. And so you are blessed. I love you. Um, and that might seem weird, but I love you because you love Jesus, and you love his church, and you have made it your devotion and your mission to be like Jesus. And one of the main things that I see when I look at the life of Jesus, especially with this topic that we have tonight, is that Jesus was a bridge builder. Jesus came to this earth and he laid down his life with the purpose of bridging mankind back to God. And despite barriers, despite differences, he found ways to connect others to achieve his goal. I love this series. I know you have heard some incredible lessons so far, um, and I hope that we can continue in this series. And as you continue to go through this, I hope you make the decision uh, to be a bridge builder yourself. One of the very relevant things that we are all surrounded by is culture. And depending on your age, depending on where you live, depending on where you work, depending on really a lot of different things, the culture that you are surrounded by is most likely different than the culture of the person sitting next to you or uh, across from you. If we want to be bridge builders, we need to understand how to utilize the different cultures we are surrounded by and find ways to connect with others in order to help bridge them back to God like Jesus did. And so our topic that we have tonight is building bridges through culture. American culture is continuously evolving, and oftentimes we decide to look at culture and see and speak about how bad and evil and crooked the culture around us is. And I think that if we looked at the culture with our bridge burning glasses, it would be very easy to separate us from them and see everything that's happening in this world as bad and evil. But if we really set our minds and our hearts to being bridge builders, I believe we'll begin to see that we have some really unique opportunities that the culture has given to us to help connect people back to God. I think we can be a church that says, oh, you just need to ignore what's happening out there and act like it doesn't happen, whatever out there, it's not happening. Or we can be a church that looks at our culture, studies it, interacts with it as Christians, and use every opportunity presented to us to be bridge builders. Because when I look at the early church, that's what they did. And although we have evolved in many ways in life and technology and religion and social institutions, the idea of engaging with the culture and being bridge builders is not a new idea or a new concept that we're having to invent for the success and the growth of the 21st century church. And so what I want to do as we begin in our lesson tonight is start by just taking a quick look into uh, the culture that we live in today. I don't think it comes to a surprise uh, to anyone as a surprise that we live in an extremely secular society. 
The numbers back that up. From a poll taken in 2022, I'm going to use iPad tonight, 63% of people in the United States claim to be Christians. Now, you might look at that number from a optimistic point of view and say 63% of people are self-proclaimed Christians. Or you can be a pessimist and say, 63? Only 63%? I, I want to also tell you about this group that um, I, I hadn't heard of until I was doing this study, and it's this group called nuns. Not the people who wear the white and black dresses, but this group of people, the nuns, is a people who don't identify with any religious background. They may not necessarily be hostile to Christianity, they just don't identify with anything. And the growth of the nuns in American society has been dramatic. In 1972, just 5% of American uh, of Americans claimed no religion on the general social survey. In 2018, that number rose to 23.7%, and in the poll that was taken last year, 29% of people claimed to be nuns, have no association with any sort of religion. So to kind of put that in perspective... Christians only outnumber religious nuns by a ratio of a little more than two to one. Every indication is that the nuns will be the largest religious group in the United States in the next decade. And when we hear statistics like that, I think there are really only two responses. We can be discouraged and decide that we can't do anything about it, and we accept the trends and say that Christianity is about to be outnumbered, Or we could recognize that we've got some work to do, that we've got some bridges to build, and not only be bridge builders, but also be trend turners. I want to encourage you by reminding you that we as a church have been here before. The church has known what it's like to be the minority. The church has known what it's like to be outnumbered. The church has known what it's like to experience hardship. But the church that I know and love has never backed down from the mission of God, which is to be bridge builders and to make disciples of all the nations. And so what I want us to do together this evening is talk about how we can engage with the cultures that we find ourselves in and build bridges. And I think Acts chapter 17 is a great place for us to do that. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Acts chapter 17 together. We are going to study verses 16 through 31. And as you're turning in your Bibles there, I kind of want to set up Acts chapter 17 for us and paint the picture. At the beginning of the chapter, Paul and Silas make their way into Thessalonica and they go in the synagogue reasoning as it was Paul's custom to do. And as they're there, there's a group of people who don't like the message being preached. So they come in, they stir things up and they kick them out. They find themselves in Berea and things are looking better in Berea with Paul and Silas. And there are good, devout people there who are listening to what's being said and they're excited However, there's a problem because the Jews from Thessalonica, or the Jews from, yeah, Thessalonica are hearing that this is happening, so they come in, they stir up everything, and they get kicked out again. And so Paul makes his way to Athens. But this time, Paul is by himself. And he finds himself in this city of Athens. And Athens was a place of amazing history. Famous historians, medical geniuses, philosophers, sculptors, artists, they once called Athens home. In Paul's day, though, the 
the golden day of Athens had gone, it was still a beautiful, influential, and intellectual city, but it certainly had its flaws. And so where we're going to spend the majority of our time together this evening is in the passage that we notoriously refer to as the Sermon on Mars Hill. And what I want us to do as we think about this passage, as we try to build bridges through culture, is by looking at what Paul observed, how he responded based on what he observed, and what Paul said to the people in Athens. So I know it's a relatively lengthy passage, but I think we need to read verses 16 through 31 together, and then we'll go back in and start to dissect this section and talk about how we can build bridges through culture. So let's start in verse 16 together. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So a lot goes on in that passage. we, We kind of can see the big points of Paul's observation, his reactions, and what he preached. And so I want us to go in and dive into this a little deeper. Let's first consider Paul's observation. What is it that Paul observes as he is in the midst of the city of Athens? When you look at verse 16, he was waiting for them in Athens, and it says his spirit was provoked. It's this idea that his spirit was distressed. He was deeply troubled. 
We might say in our lingo, Paul was fired up. And whether it's by anger or grief or a desire to convert them and to save their souls, seeing this city, it fired him up because it says that it was full of idols. Now, the word used in the original Greek here is actually used one time in the Greek New Testament, and it's right here. No other place in the New Testament is described like this city is. Practically every building in Athens had some sort of connection to one of the Greek gods. I think if we were to somehow be able to teleport back in time and find ourselves where Paul found himself, we would look around at Athens and just think, this is incredible. I mean, this is amazing. The architecture, the learning, the philosophy. We might be so impressed by what we saw, but Paul was not impressed. He was distressed. It was said that it would be easier to find a God in Athens than it would to be to, to find a man. I mean, this is a city that was wholly given to idolatry. So as, as Paul enters Athens, his observation of their culture is that this is a culture that does not fear God. And that affected him. It, it provoked him. So I want to ask us, when we look at our culture, the different cultures that you might find yourself in, what do you see? And what do you feel when you see what you see? I, I don't think any of us go around our cities and see these big statues that are erected to these different Greek gods. The only thing I can think of is Bucky's in Texas, but we don't go there too often. Like the, the god of all beavers is what Bucky's is. We don't, we don't see these big images today representing a god, but I would argue that we are surrounded by plenty of idols. Uh, our culture has taken many normal, ordinary, everyday things and have turned them into idols. That little rectangle thing in your pocket has become an idol to a lot of people. Social media has become an idol. Food, sports, technology, these things can so easily become idolized and become our gods. I, I was wondering, you know, what makes something an idol? And I, I read this definition. I thought it was great. Anything you love, treasure, prioritize, identify with, or look to for need of fulfillment outside of God can be acting as an idol in the world today. Now, I want to stop real quick and back up a little bit because that little rectangular device in your pocket is not inherently evil. That Facebook app that you can do a lot of good things on is not inherently bad. What a blessing it is to be able to communicate via text and long-distance calls without having to pay an absurd amount of money, to be able to FaceTime someone from long distance. These things are not all inherently evil, but we need to be careful that those things do not become our God. But if we're being honest, for a lot of people, that is their God. And idolatry is all around us. So how do we feel when we look out at the different cultures that we are a part of and see that they are engulfed and idolatry. For me, I don't know if this is true for you, but the more we live in our society, the more possible it is for us to just get used to being in a culture that's filled with idolatry. And we think, oh, I mean, what can I do about it? And those things just become normal to us, and they don't, they don't stir us up anymore. But that was not the case for Paul. 
the more he encountered this culture, the more he wanted to do something about it. And I believe the danger is the more comfortable we become with idolatry, the more likely we are to slip into it. And so when we get to the end of our lesson, we'll talk about some practical things we can do as we observe the idolatry in our culture. So that's Paul's observation. His spirit was provoked within him as he observed and he saw that the city was full of idols. Now let's consider Paul's reactions. When I look at verse 16 through 23, I see a lot of things that Paul did as a result of what he saw and felt in Athens. The first thing that Paul did, notice, is that he took the time to examine the culture. If you look at verse 16, as he saw that the city was full of idols. If you look at verse 23, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. The idea, this, this seeing word, observed, means to examine something carefully. To watch something with a sustained attention. I think about a fisherman observing his line out on the water, watching for any sort of movement. I think about a baker observing the cake in the oven, ensuring that it's rising properly and it's cooking appropriately. I think about going to a museum when you're walking around these different exhibits. You see these different things that are, that are on display. And you decide to walk over and observe what that specific thing is about. You give it a close examination. Paul took the time to examine, to observe the culture that he found himself in. I think it's important for us to notice that what Paul does not do. He does not come into the city, see that this culture is, is caught up in an immense idolatry and instantly start blasting them and condemning them. He first examines it. He wanted to get a proper understanding of their culture and their lifestyle. He wanted to gather all the facts. If we want to be bridge builders, we need to take the time to examine the culture and understand where people are coming from. I want to kind of take some time to be pretty applicable here. Building bridges is not just for Christians and non-Christians. And I know you're going to look at this next week with, with Chris Kidwell. But what came to my mind as I think about this, being in youth ministry, one of the biggest things that I try to emphasize all the time is bridging the gap between the younger generation and the older generation. It, it's essential. It's important. But in order to know how to bridge the gap, it is so important to take time to get to understand each other's culture because they are very different. And I have mostly older people in the room, so I'll address the older people first. To my older people, the younger people are not soft. And that's usually the rap the younger generation gets is, oh, they're just soft. They don't have to go through what I went through. And whether you think it or not, they do want to respect their elders. They, they do want to show you love and appreciate you. But they want you to show them love and show that you care about them too. The younger people do not have to walk to school uphill, backwards, with their eyes closed in the snow like you say you had to. But let me ask you this. Aren't you glad they don't have to do that anymore? Like, as a parent, as a grandparent, you work to make things better for them than how you had it. And here we are, they have it better than you had it, and what do we do to them? We give them grief for it. If we want to be bridge builders, 
we need to take time to see where they're coming from, examine their culture, and prioritize being a bridge builder between the generations. To my younger people, the older people have a lot of wisdom. They genuinely love you, and they are trying to help you and be a role model to you. They have seen a lot of things throughout their life. They have experienced an immense amount of change throughout their life, probably more than any other generation in history, I would, I would argue. Take some time to develop relationships with them and give them an opportunity to pass on their wisdom. Take some time to see where they're coming from. Examine their culture and prioritize being a bridge builder between the generations. Paul took time to examine the culture. The next thing Paul did is he engaged with them. If you look at verse 17, Paul goes into the city. He sees the idols. He examines and studies. But then he engages in conversation. Verse 17 says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now the synagogue is the place of assembly. This was the place where Paul was conversing and discussing with the Jews and with the people who fear God. If I were to guess, this is probably the place where Paul was the most comfortable. If you look at chapter 17, verse 1, he's in the synagogue in Thessalonica reasoning with them. Verse 2 tells us it was his custom to do this. You look at verse 10, when he's in Berea, he's in the synagogue reasoning with them. Verse 17 here, he's in the synagogue reasoning with them. Chapter 18, verse 1, or 18, verse 4, in Corinth, he's in the synagogue and he's reasoning with them. It was a good place where people of common faith would gather and it seemed to be a good opportunity for Paul to have religious conversations. And when I think about us, where do we feel the most comfortable having religious conversations? Right here, right? It, it makes sense that this is where we feel the most comfortable having those conversations. Because the people that are here, we usually have something in common. It's easier because we're familiar with this place. It's easier because the people that are here typically want to be here and want to listen to what we say. But notice, John's smiling. Maybe you don't want to hear what he says. I don't blame you. But notice, Paul does not just stay in the synagogue. Look at the text. He went into the marketplace as well. If we want to build bridges, sometimes we have to go to unfamiliar places. If we want to build bridges, sometimes we have to be a little uncomfortable. And I know I'm guilty of this, but I'm afraid too often what we have done is we say, Lord, instead of saying, Lord, here am I, send me, we say, Lord, here we are, bring them. We're right here and we're waiting on them. But notice, Paul understood that he could not build bridges by just staying in the synagogue, and that led him to the marketplace. Now, the marketplace was the place of the center of public life. When you hear marketplace, don't think Walmart. Uh, This was not just a place for goods. It, It was a place for ideas. It was a place where great conversations happened, where you would come and you would buy and you would sell your different ideas. It was a great place. And so I think to ourselves, you know, where is our marketplace? If we were to plug ourselves in this text, where is the marketplace of ideas today? Where do we go to buy and sell ideas? And really, it's anywhere. 
It's where you eat breakfast. It's where you get your coffee. It's the break room at work. It's on a fishing boat. It's on social media. It's on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. It's on message boards. It's, it's on YouTube. And, and I want to say this. Social media does not just, and I know this might shock us, shocks me too. Social media does not just have to be a place where we share our memes and our vacation pictures. When you really think about what social media can do for the growth of the kingdom, it would probably convict us to use it a little differently. Social media could be an incredible resource for us. I mean, shouldn't we consider that maybe one day God might ask us, how did you use social media for my glory? Now, it's important to be a normal person on social media. You might have that friend that all they do is share the Bible verses and you're like, I, I want to see more about you. It's okay to be a normal person, but use social media understanding that you're trying to be a bridge builder. Maybe share an article that one of the ministers wrote. Maybe take some time to post about the great life that you have in Jesus. How are you using social media? How are you using your interactions to build bridges? When I look at Paul, he utilized his opportunities in the synagogue, in the marketplace, to engage with the people. But notice that's not the only place Paul went. He also is about to end up in another place, and it's a fun word, the Areopagus. And this is a place, really a people, where philosophers discuss things together. And what I love about this text is Paul seems to be comfortable in all three places. A religious setting, a common setting, and an academic setting. And I think the message to us from that is we need to be able to engage people in whatever those settings we find ourselves in. You can be a bridge builder no matter where you are. You can be a bridge builder at the local cafe where you eat breakfast every Tuesday. You can be a bridge builder in the bleachers at a game. You can be a bridge builder in your break room at work. You can be a bridge builder out on a fishing boat. Remember to engage with the people. Next thing Paul does is that he finds common ground and he started where they were. When Paul begins his address, when it's time for him to preach in front of the people, he says, as I was observing what you do around here, I observe that you are very religious. Paul found the common ground. that At some level, there was this idea that both of these people were religious. And that's where he started. And man, I'm stepping on my own toes here. But as I think about this, you know, we, we like to bash those people who come to church twice a year, don't we? The, the Easter Christians and the Christmas Christians, we love those people, don't we? And we love to bash them. And when I think about this, what if instead of making fun of them, we capitalize on the fact that they were here? You know, we love to say, well, we don't really know if this is the day Jesus was resurrected. We don't really know if that was actually the day that, that Jesus was born. A bridge builder will capitalize on the fact that the people were there instead of making them feel bad for only showing up two times a year. Sure, they may not be as religious as us, but they're here. And notice when Paul observed this group of Christians, not Christians, these pagans really, as he observed their life, he was able to find a, a common ground. And it resonated with them because he chose to do that. 
Now, there's also a, a group of people in our world that in, we interact with that are skeptics. And it's no doubt that we are miles apart uh, on fundamental basic principles. But I would argue that no matter who we're talking to, there will always be some sort of common ground. Maybe it's the fact that you're both OU fans. Maybe it's the fact that you're both into running or that you're into coffee or that you're into certain authors or certain genres of books. What I love about Paul, notice in his address, he quotes from two Greek poets that were just as pagan as the philosophers that he was talking to. But what those poets said, he could use that message and he could get his message across by utilizing those poets and what they said because they were general statements of truth. And he was able to use them and turn them to his advantage to point them to God. Paul was able to find common ground and he started where they were. Notice the next thing Paul does is that he ignored insults. If you look at verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? That, that word babbler, it literally means a seed picker. It, it meant to describe a bird hopping around and, and, and picking seed from here and picking seed from here and, and picking seed from here. When used for people, it's talking about a person who has hopped around and who picked up a few grains of knowledge here and a few grains of knowledge over here. And he's just spitting out what he thought he knew, but he didn't really know nearly as much as he thought he knew. Bottom line, this word is basically calling someone stupid or uneducated. Paul, at any point, notice how at any point, he never addresses what they said about him. Paul was not a stupid man. And Paul knows he was not a stupid man. And Paul did the thing that he knew was best for dealing with insults. He ignored them and he didn't say a thing about them. I think sometimes we can get too focused on addressing the insult that was thrown at us and try to win an argument instead of trying to win someone's soul. When trying to be a, build, a bridge builder, you may get insulted. And when you do, ignore them. And certainly don't be the one to initiate the insults. I know how we get when we get behind a screen. We feel big. We feel powerful. We feel like we can say whatever we want to say. But I encourage you to flee from that. I encourage you to bring gentleness and seasoned speech. And remember what's important. We are trying to win their souls to Jesus. We're trying to be a bridge builder. And then the last reaction I see from Paul is that he was able to transition to differences that they had. Paul didn't simply stay in the area in which they were comfortable. He goes on to bring up the truth that there is only one God and he is far better than any of these idols and anything that those idols have to offer. You know, those conversations that we have at breakfast, those conversations we have in the bleachers, those conversations with non-Christians that you engage with, Don't just talk about sports. Don't just talk about family. Don't just talk about politics. Take that opportunity to shift the conversation, to to transition to maybe some of the differences that you know you have with that person. Take the opportunity to share your faith and discuss with them about Jesus and your faith and your walk in Him. I want us to finish by looking at Paul's preaching. In verses 24 through 31, And what I love about his preaching 
is that he preached what was relevant to them based on his observations of the city. He, he chose his words to match what was relevant to their current culture and their current situation that he found himself in. And he wanted to tell them about this unknown God. Because if you look at verse 22 and 23, through his observation, his inspection, he found one of these idols marked to an unknown God. And so that's what he's going to preach about in verses 24 through 31. You see, the first thing Paul talks about in verse 24 is the greatness of God. How God is creator. That he is Lord. He is master and maker of heaven. That he does not dwell in temples made with hands because human hands could never create what God is. He preaches about the goodness of God in verse 25, how he is the provider. That he's responsible for giving everything to everybody. That he causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. He sends rain to the evil and to the good. He is a good God. He goes on to tell them about the government of God in verses 26 through 29. How he is ruler. How he is sovereign. How he created every person and every nation. He is the one that determines their rise and their fall. And he created all of us to seek him. And the the message, the encouragement, is that in this seeking process, you're not having to go very far because He is near. And He is our Father. He wants us to find Him and to be our Father. He wants us to be His children because there is nothing comparable to that. that. That there is no gold or silver or things created with human hands that have anything in comparison to being a child of God, and then he ends by telling about the grace of God in verses 30 and 31. And what Paul was encouraging the people to do in Athens is the same thing that we are challenged to do today, and is to surrender all of your idols and your ideologies to Jesus. And church, that's what we do every Sunday when we gather together. We come here, we share the bread and the cup, We sing these songs, we pray these prayers, we admonish each other, we encourage each other to surrender all of our idols and ideologies to Jesus. Because there is coming a day where He is going to make all things right. And there is one man who is going to judge us and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And He wants to save you because He is a gracious God. I want us to look at how the people responded to Paul's message in verses 32 through 34. And I think this is essential for us as we consider being a bridge builder. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. I said those names with a lot of confidence. Some are going to listen to what you're saying and want to stick around and learn more. As you try to bridge, build, build bridges through culture, some are going to want to listen to you and stick around and keep hearing you out. Some are going to believe in your message and believe in Jesus and make him the Lord of their lives. Mission success. However, some are going to listen to what you're saying and mock and sneer and think you're stupid and uneducated. 
But regardless of how people respond, I want to encourage you to keep building bridges. I think as we look around the culture, at the culture around us, with our bridge burning glasses, it could be so very easy to separate us from them. Just think of what Paul could have said and done in the city of Athens when he saw how they were wholly committed to idolatry. But if we really set our hearts and our minds to being bridge builders, I believe we'll begin to see that there are some unique opportunities our culture gives us today to help connect people back to God. Paul devoted himself to being a bridge builder, and I I hope and I pray that you will make the same devotion as well. Let's end by just being extremely practical. What are some feasible, real-life things that I can do in my life to build bridges through culture. I think some of these are coming straight from some of the things that that we've talked about. But the first is this. Be uncomfortable with idolatry and help others find what they are looking for. People, when they are invested in their phones and they're obsessed with sports and they're obsessed with finding the next big thing. When when people buy into idolatry, it's not because they want to say, I want to worship an idol. It's because they're looking for something. It's because they're seeking fulfillment out of something. They're seeking worth. They're seeking some sort of, of knowledge. They're looking for something. Church, do we not have a God that could bring complete fulfillment? Do we not have a God that offers infinite and eternal worth? Do we not have a God who literally says, if you ask for wisdom, he will give it to you. That is the God that we serve. And people, they don't realize it, but they're looking for that. And what an amazing opportunity we have to say, I know what you're looking for, and I know the solution to your searching. And it's God. Number two, get familiar with the culture surrounding you. You know, where are the people? Maybe maybe it's at the gym. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's the people on social media. Maybe it's at a park. Maybe participate in community events and festivals and, and gatherings to experience and understand the customs and traditions and values of those specific cultures. Maybe... It, it means you volunteer or participate in community service because engaging in community service activities can deepen your connection with the local culture and the people living within it. Maybe you can wear a Choctaw Church of Christ shirt as you're doing those things. Dive in and get familiar with the culture because the more you understand the culture you're living within, the more you're going to understand how to help build bridges with them. Number three. Look for opportunities to engage. Even as secular as a culture Athens was, there were honest hearts there. In the midst of all those idols lining every street and the temples all over the place to false deities, so much of that was just wrapped up in the daily culture of Athens, yet there were honest hearts that were open to the truth, and Paul got the attention of some of them. I suggest to you this evening that there are still honest hearts today in our increasingly secular culture, and may God be gracious enough to open our eyes to them. Make the decision to ask that waitress that you see every Tuesday or every Thursday 
if they know something about God. Ask, make the decision to shift the conversations that you're having with these people to having spiritual conversations. I can't tell you how many friends, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself, I hope you know that. I can't tell you how many friendships I have with people that literally know I'm a preacher that I've never had a spiritual conversation with. And that's horrible. And as I think about this, it's so important for us to look for opportunities to engage with these people. And it's okay to shift to differences and to have hard, uncomfortable conversations. The next thing that we need to do, what we can do, is utilize the culture to get the gospel out there. You know, I I was thinking about this. Raise your hand if you're, this is probably easier, raise your hand if you're not on Facebook. Okay, this is honestly a little more than I thought. But imagine this. For all of us who are in here, imagine if we were to open to our friends list and add up how many friends we have in just this auditorium. Could you imagine that number? This would probably be a little different if this was a Sunday morning. I think we'd have more people. Imagine the number of people we would come up with if we all calculated how many people see our posts when we post on Facebook. Imagine how many people we could write, reach if we simply all just shared the post. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he wants a relationship with you. Imagine what that message to the thousands of friends we had. Imagine what that might do in our world. Utilize the culture that you are surrounded with to get the gospel out there. Use culturally relevant stories and analogies. Incorporate parables or metaphors that align with with uh, cultural truths and, and things that they associate themselves with. Identify common values between the gospel message and the local culture, highlighting how Christianity aligns with the positive aspects of their traditions. That's what Paul did, and it was so effective for him. And the last and I think most effective thing we can do is live a life that has been transformed by the gospel Live out your Christian worldview in your workplace. Live out your Christian worldview in your home, at your kids' games, at coffee, on social media. Demonstrate love and compassion towards others, treating them with kindness and empathy and respect regardless of their background and regardless of their beliefs. I believe there is nothing more compelling when trying to bridge someone to God, than by those people seeing you and seeing that you've been transformed by the Spirit yourself. And so I encourage you to continue to grow in your faith. I encourage you to continue to deepen your relationship with God, to continue reflecting His love and His light to the world around you because other people will notice that. In the culture that we live in today, in the society that we live in today, people will notice that you are different. And chances are, they will ask you, why are you different? I notice there's something different about you. What is it? And what an amazing opportunity you as a bridge builder have to say, I'm different because I've been saved by Jesus. I've been changed because of His grace and His mercy and His love for me. And I have the Spirit in me. And look at that. They came to you. I encourage you to be a bridge builder. I encourage you to look for ways throughout this week how you can look at the cultures that you find yourself in and you make the decision to build bridges through that culture.
Thank you so much for your attention. Let's end with the word of prayer. Our God and our Father in heaven, you are almighty. You are holy. You are wonderful. You are gracious and you are a good God. And we thank you for this time that we had together to open up the scriptures and to look at this sermon on Mars Hill, to look at the example of Paul being a bridge builder through the culture that he found himself in. There are situations that are in front of us every day. We ask that you would give us the wisdom and the courage and the boldness to have those conversations. That you would give us an insight as to how we can best influence the cultures that we find ourselves in. Father, we pray that you would bring us opportunities, that you would bring us people that we can have conversations with to help bridge them back to you. We love you, Father. We thank you for this night that we had together. Pray your blessings upon all of the people here. I'm thankful for this church that meets here at Choctaw. I pray for Titus. I pray for John and I pray for Marty. I pray for her elders and I pray for her deacons. I pray for everyone that's a part of this congregation that you would be with them and that you would continue to grow this place. We love you so much. We pray that you would go with us now as we leave this place. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Father, for being our Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.